Hello, welcome back to Where Love Lives with me, Lulu LaVage. Summer is here, hooray, and it's hot, hot, hot outside at the moment. But you know what? It's also sizzling inside, as today's guest is the walking, living and breathing art piece herself, Bishi. Bishi is a composer, singer and producer who channels the ancient tones of Indian classical music and fuses it with queer indie electronic subcultures. She's got more flair in her little finger for tech than Steve Jobs and is a passionate advocate for inclusivity and gender equality in the music industries. We do, of course, discuss this important work in the interview, but do go to the show blurb to get all the links. This is yet another amazingly insightful interview, but before we get into the chat, you must check out Bishi's latest Reflections EP, which is out now. It's really good. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Bishi. I can't believe you're here. It's wonderful to have you here. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And it's really wonderful to be here. I'm a big fan of the show. I know. I'm really flattered, actually, because you've got your own podcast and it's like, this is my this is my first podcast. So, you know, I was kind of finding my way. So, I mean, what... How do you approach your podcast and what do you think is good about other podcasts out of interest? Well, the way that I approach my podcast is because I'm really interested in other artists and I'm really interested in other processes and and how other people access their ideas. I'm a really big fan of the idea that you can give everyone a pencil, you can give everyone a pen, mm. but their story and their drawing is going to be completely mm, different. Mm, mm. And that's something that really inspires me. Mm. And everybody that I approach to interview, are I'm lucky that the majority of them I already had relationships with before. So I think that helped. But I'm really, I'm such a fan of their music or I'm such a fan of what they do. It's like getting behind to things, you know, and finding out just how irreverent and brilliant and even more funny they are. I think what makes a good podcast is just if you're interested in the person you're talking Mm, to. mm. Because I've done more formal radio interviews and more formal things where they just have guest after guest after guest. And they kind of get really defensive because what they do, and this happens to me quite a lot, is they look at a picture of me, kind of assume what I'm going to be, and then they're really confused about what comes out of me because I'm actually a lot more down-to-earth and a lot more interesting, hopefully. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I have a lot more to say than my image might suggest. what, What do you think your image suggests then? This is interesting. That I have nothing more to give than... My than the surface. Um, I think that's what happens when you're a woman, especially, and you make a lot out of your appearance. Mm. It you you are really read as you don't really have anything to say, or you don't really have any skills, or you know, you know, like all of this like really weird sexist stuff. I didn't read you like that. Yeah, or is it, it a male gaze kind of thing? It could be a male gaze thing, but I think I think it's definitely like I think we were having this chat upstairs. There's this poison pill that is like unfortunately put into all women and it's all to do with what do I look like how am I perceived am I fancy blah 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 mm. all of this nonsense and it's really hard to get away from that noise you know when I was a you know a teenager coming into all of that it was all heroin chic and Kate Moss and and I think deep down inside I knew that there are just lots of different types of beautiful there are lots of different kinds of expression and ways that one expresses oneself however you identify as a teenager even though I was very into very alternative things I was looking at the way people like Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan in this horrible like gross celebrity culture where you know they'd zoom in on a woman's foot if her if her pedicure wasn't perfect oh my god or or like is it pregnancy belly absolutely the way that that they would over sexualize like charlotte church and Mm, billy piper mm. these horrible bully this absolute lens of bullying which is really disgusting which is i think i think there's i think me and jamila jamila kind of roughly the same age so i can see why she's gone and set up something like i weigh Mm. because it was just unacceptable and if you listeners out there haven't heard of i weigh do you want to explain what it is and you should you should all follow i weigh on instagram yeah, so I weigh is Jamila Jamil's Instagram slash podcast, and I think she started it to. She was so um, she saw a celebrity photo where these women were all. It was just their weight, 
and she was just like hang on like I weigh more than this you know and she started it with this whole like I I weigh my achievements like whatever my joy my happiness whatever mm. and it's grown into this massive social media movement and a very sort of anti uh, Kardashian yeah yeah, mm. yeah yeah she's very she's very she's very kind of anti celebrity but then there seems to be it seems to be it, it's, it is very celebrity focused which mm, there mm. again I'm quite alternative I'm like mm, mm. I just like weird art and mm. you know I feel like we have so much to talk about yeah and I'm worried we're not going to get through all of it it's a shame it's not a bit longer we might have to get you in for a part two okay um but I was kind of we, we were chatting a little bit uh upstairs when we came in the studio a few listeners out there and it was just interesting to think about I don't know these kind of women in the industry kindred spirits mm. we don't know each other but it's kind mm. of long like believe in the same kind of things this kind of like uh, inclusivity like sort of breaking down gender binaries mm. gender stereotypes yeah the whole interest in music and tech and there's I just it's really comforting and it feels really good there's more and more women like us around having our voices so. heard I think I think so I think the thing that I can really sense through growing up is that a lot of these quite left field conversations are conversations around feminism conversations around representation and gender and inclusivity have gone from being underground conversations into the mainstream zeitgeist of the day now it's obviously very messy because of social media and because to be present on social media one has to be very polarizing Mm. and one has to be on the attack pretty much on the attack or from the position of being a victim shouting a lot so it's very Mm. confused however I prefer that these conversations are really mainstream and that people are thinking and talking in a much more overall in a much more progressive way I think that's a fantastic thing Mm, me too I guess I come from that like immigrant background where it's like working hard and if you're Mm. working hard then it's a really good thing like there's been a lot of misunder cultural misunderstandings and it's very hard when your parents come from another culture. So they're Bengali, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you were f- born here? Yes, I was, yeah. Okay. And they're the first post-colonial, post-independence mm. generation to move over here. And that generation, we're not allowed to bring any money over. So Why the- not? I don't know, it's the law or something. Really? Yeah, the three okay. pounds in their pocket generation. So they were not... I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were okay. not allowed by law to bring anything over. So they really started here with zero. Um, so I think that has really influenced me in terms of just working hard and powering through. Give me the drive to kind of like... Yeah, yeah. And just, and just powering through no matter how bad the circumstances are. So where did you grow up then? So I grew up in West London. Okay. And I was lucky to experience a pre-gentrification London Mm. where there was just a lot of different influences. Like, so places like Labrick Grove and all of that, people think of it as being like Hugh Grant and Sienna Miller or whatever. It's very West Indian culture, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and it was really, like, edgy. I mean, you had to really look out for yourself. And so, you know, there were lots of record shops that sold really cheap vinyl. And obviously mm. there's Carnival. Then I'd be in Soho all the time. Then there'd be gigs in Camden. Then I'd go to warehouse parties in the East End. Like, all all quite underage. So you were quite a party girl, am I right? Yeah, no, I still Definitely, am. Yeah. I'm, I'm a burning the candle at both ends girl. Yeah, which is why <laughs> I think I'm going to get on very well with you. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll probably be friends. Yes, because, hooray! Because I, I'm totally burn the candle at both ends type person. Yeah. I mean, why do we do that? Because it's fun, right? Yeah, because Is there something that's... else going on there? Is it? I don't know. <laughs> I well, work hard, I play hard, I just work, work, work. I like so, being sociable. Why do we do that? Is it because... Well, because it's so enjoyable and, mm. and I think that there is so much to go out and experience. And for me, it's just different scenes, different sounds, the, you know, everything from how people look, how we're like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really, really inspired by that. Mm. But I, I definitely have a lot of quiet time. Mm. But um, yeah, I what do they call it? Ambivert. <laughs> What's that? What's an ambivert? Is it like introvert and extrovert? Like an oh. extrovert who needs a lot of time on their own. That's me. Yeah, that's me too. Yeah, that's me. That's yeah. exactly me. That's why I, I like DJing, because I like to, but I like to be behind the deck so I don't have to talk to anyone. Right. Do kind people of. ever bother you? Do people bother me? Yeah, on, on when oh, you're some, DJing. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes. 
and they ask you to play something rubbish and you're like no yeah i'll politely try and say no (laughs) i've got a t-shirt brand that says no fucking requests and no shop will stop them (laughs) because it's got swear word in it oh for god's sake um, yeah, yeah. So this is actually quite a good segue into we were talking about you being party girl, burning the candle at both ends. One yeah. of your your loves is peacocking. Yeah, and I really, really like this idea of peacocking. Just so let's talk about that. And then yeah. I think we can. Yeah, I'll leave it to you to kind of like to tell us about that. Sure. Well, when I was fourteen, I was nurtured, discovered, if you like, by a radical queer performance art band called Minty who were founded by the late Lee Bowery. I came onto the scene after Lee Bowery had passed away. And I'd just been reading, like, because I had a a cool older sister, so I'd been reading The Face and reading all of these magazines. And then I read in Smash Hits that all these pop stars, all these people in bands who I loved, all hung out at this this club called Smashing. Mm -hmm. So uh, people lie and they say, oh, we remember you at Smashing. Is that Soho Smashing? Yeah, I was like, yeah, if they let 11-year-olds in, I was definitely there, you know. Um, But so... Were you there, though? Well, I was 11. No, did you sneak in at 11? No. It's a joke. No, no, no. Oh, oh my God, I'm really bad at some jokes. But but, um, my boyfriend at the time wrote Minty a letter and it was all like, oh, wow. So I watched the Pulp documentary and they were the freaks who were supporting. So it's like, oh, no, now we're friends with the freak. And that guy, Matthew, he ran Smashing. And so I had this real entrance into the underground of London and we'd walk around Soho and like everyone knew Matthew, everyone knew Richard Torrey. Everybody was just around in Soho. Like you really had to be out mm. out and about. So I had this real entry into the London counterculture. And through being nurtured by Minty, I first got into a professional recording studio, Did started professionally DJing when I was 17. And so I really got into club culture and I saw... Uh, you know, my identity, kind of how I looked, how I styled myself. This is all a part of a big canvas of just artistic expression. Mm-hmm. I was really, really lucky. And, um, you know, I, one of my first gigs was at a film premiere and, you know, Bootsy Collins wanted his photo with me. Wow. I went to school the next day. Do you know, I, I stayed up and then I went mm. to school the next day. And then it was amazing, like, Lou Reed was there and, you know, all, all of this, like, incredible stuff that you think god you know i was 17 when all of this stuff was happening does it feel like a bit of a blur looking back no it just feels amazing and mm. i can't believe that that I, I didn't quite realize at the time but now i realize like you know i was so lucky to experience all of this stuff so how did you meet lee bowery how did that happen so i didn't oh meet you didn't Lowry. get to meet him okay no i didn't get to meet him so peacocking because that's quite a masculine thing peacocks yeah. are male aren't they so yes, is this is a bit are. of a play on this Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have that, you know, that. so in Hinduism, all the gods and goddesses are part male, part female. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely been something that I've always felt intrinsically. And I've always really gone out and really applied myself and always been told, you know, all of that rubbish that you're intimidating and blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Is, I'm just like, great. Um, Is that but... because why do people think people like us are intimidating? Because we have we actually speak our mind and we're clever and we just do what we want. No, it's a way to uh, control us mm. and placate us and make us feel scared. That, mm. that it, it's a way of actually giving us the poison pill of imposter syndrome. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that took a long time for me to sort of overcome it. It's like, oh, right, this is just rubbish someone else has projected onto you. Mm, mm. Um, so, yeah, so, yes, like, you're right, pe- peacocking is is very male. And actually, do you know that there was a peacock that went viral on the internet? It was on one of those suitcase conveyor belts, and it was belonged to a friend of mine. Really? Yeah. What, what, where was it? Where was it recorded? It was, I think it was in Brooklyn, because she, this woman, this artist lives in Brooklyn in a warehouse and built a pink throne for the peacock because it's her support had to be one of your friends basically (laughs) (laughs) can I just say to the the listeners I had to really dress up to come into this interview today because I knew she'd be looking super glam so I I pulled out all all my tricks today I am going somewhere afterwards but still I wasn't coming in looking scrappy today you look amazing (laughs) and also but I I wouldn't judge either no I know you wouldn't I know I'm just not like I did that, that with Princess Julia as well when she did came you? in. I had to put on some kind of outfit as well, yeah. Oh, Julia's the best. <laughs> 
But yeah, so I, I, I think, think she peacocks around town. Oh my she? god! I mean, she is like prime minister peacock. You know, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never heard that expression peacocking as far as as a as a as a verb like to do. Yeah, I think it just came. I think it just came out of my brain because it it encapsulates the going out to clubs every night. You know, from seventeen to. 24 before my solo career sort of really kind of took off in the way that it did I must have been out every night in Soho in Shoreditch in East London now when I go and mentor and when I go and lecture at colleges people don't really understand like a lot of that club culture has really gone from London because a lot of those Mm. little venues have all shut down and it's all the gentrification and and, and the monification of everything has just Mm. grown so much and when I talk to people in college they all talk about networking I'm like I think that's really grotesque like for me it's about bohemianism and being a part of a scene and finding out about people and everybody collaborating honestly and everybody being yeah. a hot mess and everyone everyone being in each other's fashion shows and everybody going to each other's and it's band it's not called nights. networking it's just being interesting yeah. and interested yeah it's like, I know I know exactly what you mean because it's thing about networking like oh you have to do, do, do this so you have to make sure you're on these mailing lists or do, and it's like but it's organic isn't it yeah Completely organic, yeah. And the amount of, like, you know, I'm a big social media fan. I've really grown through it. But it's all, like, you know, we're just training algorithms and networking. It's like, no, you have to go out and be. Just just be creative for the hell of it. Mm. Absolutely, uh, just be visible doing something. Yeah, and where this relates back to peacocking Mm. is, is, is that was my life. It's just going out, going to see bands, going to see performance art, going to see fashion, dancing every night. You know, it will be rubbish. And also I was full of tons of insecurity and tons of anxiety Mm. because you have to really work out who you are. And so I put all of my energy into that creative aspect. Um, And it's really formed who I am today. And when I go on all of these like big Zoom meetings and it's like social marketing 101, blah, blah, blah. Or that basically the primary things they teach you is go and have human relationships Mm. with people. Through all these sort of peacocking years and times, what's can you think of like what have been your highlights? Like what have been most interesting snap? If you could go back and look at little snapshots, what's been kind of like that was amazing that was an amazing night or that moment, that person I met? Yes, yeah, so I was the resident DJ for a club called Cashpoint. So on Monday nights you had trash, Tuesday nights was cheapskates, Wednesday night was nag, nag, nag. So this was at the, the end, right? No. No, Cashpoint, we were on a boat and then we were at Moonlighting in okay. Soho. And then on the Friday night it was the cock. And then on the Saturday night it was international stunners. So it was more of that kind of rock and roll the straight crowd that 333 were kind of rock and roll and queerness and everything rolled together and then Sunday night was Radio Egypt at the Georgian Dragon and you know you'd get you know sometimes you'd go to Torture Garden then there was the whole Gareth Pugh lot who were down in Peckham the early Peckham raids Mm. and all of that and that that was that circus Mm. was just amazing for and maybe a good four to five years. Mm, that mm. that circus, you get people from the art world. You get, you know, there were a lot of people squatting, you know, friends of mine squatting all the way down Shoreditch High Street. So it's not like that, you know, I'm not romanticising that because there were tons of problems. But there was a freedom in it because it was just this pre-smartphone moment where everybody was out all the time. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I know I'm older than you, but I didn't get I didn't get a phone until I was 27. Yeah, well, you know, I and think I, and you. I was fine running around London for years without internet or phone. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And um, talking of technology, I'm keeping an eye on the time okay. as well. So technology is obviously one of your loves wow. that we have here. Wow. Uh, I think this is quite a good. I mean, gosh, you do so much uh, in the in the world of technology. Obviously, we talked about your podcast earlier uh, called Creative Women in Tech. Yeah. Um, and you are, in, I don't want to say it wrong, is it um, witchy? Witch, but, witch. We, but lots of people uh, do say witchy, and I think I that's think, cool. I don't know why I said witchy. I think it, I think that I saw the I after the H. Yeah. So wit, I don't know what it was. So witch, yeah. which stands for uh, Women in Tech Creative Industries Hub. Yes, that's right. Is that correct? Yes, that's okay, right. Okay, good. I did my homework. <laughs> uh, got it right. 
So I think, I mean, this is really interesting, the whole gender and technology yeah. debate, because obviously there's you and there's Imogen Heap as yeah. well, who's really active in, in this area. And so is Anna Matronic yeah. as well. So you guys all kind of like do stuff together. Yeah. And you, you're kind of very active with the PRS key change as well. Yep. to do the whole. So all this cool stuff is totally like really important, totally up my street. Tell us about how this hub got set up. So the Women in Technology, so which got set up at the end of my last tour. I had a big tour, an album called Albion Voice. Actually, seven years ago, pretty much to this date, um, you know, I sold out the Queen Elizabeth Hall as an indie artist. And I just got to the end of my tether because I'm just like, God, I'm I'm doing all of this stuff and I'm not getting any kind of support from the traditional music industry and like screw them I'm so bored of all of this nonsense blah 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 and what I noticed is that through the emerging technologies it was primarily women who were doing really radical women trans and non-binary artists mm, I should mm, say mm -hmm. who were doing something really radical with this technology and placing themselves in the middle of it and that we maybe needed our own space, not to just meet, but to show each other our mm -hmm. projects. So in 2016, I started Witch, and I have curated salons with the likes of Imogen Heap and Mira Kalix, who recently passed mm. away, unfortunately. Mira Kalix passed away? Yeah, yeah, oh, no, yeah. I yeah. Know that. No, yeah. Chagall, Anna Matronic, uh, Gazelle Twin. Um, I've commissioned works from the likes of Lula XYZ and Hinaka Omori. Last year, I curated a digital festival with Hannah Peel, Kayla Painter and Neil Sebastian of the London Contemporary Voices and I got Laurie Anderson to agree to headline it. Wow. Uh, which was a completely momentous. It really, it was really about building a scene. I took yeah. all of my early training in Clubland and applied it to to technology and to creativity. It's, so how do you, you teach know, us how, I mean, how do you, I guess it's just your learnings from being peacocking around town. Yeah. How to know how to kind of do this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. And also I started programming songs on Logic when I was about 15 or 16. Mm. I actually really struggled with technology because I felt there was this lack of people being able to show each other. That's sort of like what I've always really been been into but I was really into like Wendy Carlos and Delia mm. Derbyshire and I've got a note here uh, Daphne Oram of course yeah yeah Daphne Oram obviously yeah. obviously Bjork was a huge mm. influence on me and I just thought you know like we've got a, there's a story here and obviously that movement has become bigger and mm. bigger um, and in the last year, I haven't been as active as my own solo work has, has gone to some new You're heights. not superhuman, Bishy. No, you can't I do everything. I know you are a bit superhuman, but there are limits. But yes. You've got to sleep. Yeah. But I, you know, I've got more and more into music production. Uh, you know, I've got into programming this mixed reality. I've I got into Imogen Heaps programming those Mimu gloves. Those Mimu gloves are insane. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They amazing. Are. If you guys listening haven't, you got to go and check out. There's some really good videos on YouTube. The Mimu gloves are so yeah. cool and really yeah. good for disability for disabled. Really artists. good. Really good for disabled yeah. artists. Yeah, that's right. I think they've got a long association with Drake Music. They're a fantastic. Because yeah, my great niece uh, has cerebral palsy and she's a singer. And she, you know, she really wants to try them out. Me and me are like family and mm. I'm a, what's the word? I'm an ambassador oh. for Imogen Heap's Creative Passport project. Oh, yes, the Creative Passport. That's another thing I want to talk to you about. So that's so, I mean, you might have to explain the Creative Passport because I've looked at it before. Yeah. But, but it's you explain it. You'll be better at explaining what it is. So as a musician, you have lots of strands of metadata from your streaming metadata to the collection societies, PRS, PPL, all of this stuff, which is quite boring. But obviously, a lot of musicians these days, we are all self-releasing. We have our own labels. Um, and there's so many different parts of metadata from all the different platforms, all, all the different things are involved with. That Imogen's idea is why don't you centralise all of that information on the blockchain into one passport so that if people need, you know, they need whatever codes from... It's like your music DNA. Yeah, exactly. In exactly, one place. Exactly, from your mm. unique product upload on your uh, digital distribution to your PRS number, they just can scan the bit that they Such need from a good you. Idea. Yeah. And so during lockdown I went to her house and I filmed 
in my TV presenter voice how you upload. Oh, can you, you know. can you do your TV presenter voice for us? I think I'm slightly doing it now. Are you? Yeah, po- yeah, possibly. But um, yeah, I think the video still is on YouTube where you where you can see okay. me deliver instructions on on how you create your creative passport. So it's still not been rolled out. Just to, I mean, still some people don't know about it, right? Yeah, well, it's in its very early stages, mm. and when we did the digital online launch people want this to be lots of different things and it really has the potential to be that but obviously mm. you need to raise a lot of money you need to raise a lot of money to um have those services but you also really need to keep to the integrity of what creative passport is about so you know you don't want some investor coming in and actually changing what's special about the creative passport and and it's really geared towards musicians and creators and should have their needs at the heart of things, mm, mm. Um, which very often isn't the case. No, I think it's a good idea because I just think the whole kind of the PRS, you know, the MCPS, it's all very confusing for like yeah. a lot of people. Have, a lot of people, young, well, young artists get confused about how to collect their publishing and all these yeah. kind of things. So I suppose that, that takes away the anxiety of having it all in one place. Yeah. I assume. Did I get that right, roughly? Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah. sure, for sure. No, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's a real... It's a real headache. So, I mean, technology is moving so fast. So, I yeah. mean, the whole, like, um, NFTs and blockchain yeah. and, well, and, and you told me, you, you just recently, well, you didn't tell me, but you told me um, in an email that you went to see the ABBA hologram I concert. did, yeah. So, everything's so moving into this kind of this yes. virtual world. So, I'm really interested to find out what you think of that. I think it's absolutely amazing. So I was in the first audience, the first dress rehearsal, and I got invited. I'm a part of a group of female and non-binary music producers called 2% Rising, who are fantastic. And we got given our own booth, our own dance floor, and it was amazing. And we were all Where absolutely was this? gobsmacked. Where was it? It was at, it, it was in so Abba Voyage. It's in Pudding Mill Lane. So it, it, in my late teens, I would have gone to raves there with my Nokia three three ten. Amazing. And now all of that is flattened. And actually, it's quite relevant because I was friends with this sort of feral circus troupe who then went to. Of course, um, you were. <laughs> no, no, but they went on to develop this holographic technology and were the first gang to really use it in their live shows right and then all of that is flattened and now it's a different kind of party with a different yeah. kind of hologram oh my god so, it's <laughs> yeah i know i know it's all it's all like full circle so um i really enjoyed it i was really surprised i think were you cynical about it to begin with and I, there was a lot of giggling at, at, at certain points but it was, I mean, it's really moving, very memorable. And I was in the adjacent booth to where Benny was. So so that all right. felt really special. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. And actually, I think the same uh, programme that they may have built ABBA in MetaHuman, there's a fantastic artist called Alex Box. He's actually made a MetaHuman of me. Right. It looks like me with lots of filler. Right. It's beautiful. Right. I mean, that's all sounds all very strange and egotistical. What she has made is, is absolutely beautiful. So that's like a hologram. Um, so MetaHuman, I think it's a free program. If you Google it, you, you can render, you can use visual in, information to render a completely AI version. It sounds version. sort of Star Warsy. It's very, It's very Star Warsy, a very Black Mirror. I'm very conflicted about nfts i recently came back from la and i met with some really badass women who are actively working to make sure that they don't cause all of the destruction on the planet so that when this you're... is the, the whole the environmental issues that nfts and yeah, blockchain it's... is the main is kind of my main concern with all of that really it's really shocking mm. I, I read how you know whatever block of ethereum it equals to 17,000 hours of YouTube. Like, what mm. the hell? So I'm really, really worried about that. Mm. However, I am meeting more and more people who are actively building systems. And I'm on the board of a company called Delic, who are also apparently trying to build more eco-friendly systems around NFTs. Because a lot of the tech people that I've met in LA have basically said, look, look, this is the system. And that this is going to save and empower musicians and creators. Mm. So, um, and, you know, and I do know some incredible NFT artists and I'm being, I'm being beckoned, I'm being pulled into that world and it's extraordinary and I'm really, really conflicted. Mm. 
I know about it and I've read about it. I'm still quite confused about it, I have to be honest. Oh, yeah. I'm I not mean, that confused. Yeah. you. I, mean, no, I think yeah. it's because I'm old. I don't know. I'm starting to feel like, you know, I'm turning into my mother. Like I accidentally turned the, the, like the, the torch on on my phone. I don't know how to turn it off. So trying to get my, <laughs> trying to get my head round into the whole blockchain NFT. Yeah. NFTs. Because when I was young, I used to take the piss out of my parents for not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. not, didn't know how to use remote control and all yeah. this. But I'm kind of like, but now, because I've, I've been alive for quite a long time, 52 yeah. years, what, 51 years. Yeah. Um, I'm, but now I'm kind of like, God, I've seen so much change already and it's just yeah. changing so fast. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's kind of exciting, but kind of like, not terrifying, but like, where's it going to go? Do you have a conflicting um, relationship with technology in general? Is it all, do you feel it's just... I do feel it's really exciting. However, I'm very aware of things like the digital, the human rights around all of this stuff. Mm. And people, as it becomes more integrated, it is going to be like, you know, how are things being, you know, like what what is being put into the algorithms. Mm. So there's a fantastic book called The People Versus Tech by Jamie... I'm blanking on his surname. I'm really sorry if he listens, but it is the people versus tech. Mm -hmm. And he also had a fantastic podcast on BBC Sounds about that crypto queen who stole loads of money. His first name's Jamie. He's brilliant. There's another brilliant um, Guardian journalist called Alex Hearn who talks a lot about technology. He had a fantastic podcast called Chips With Everything. I don't know why that got pulled. That's such a great name. But it was such a great podcast and they mm. were not only looking at technological advancements but really looking at the human element behind that and mm. You know, actually, like, Arna's really amazing at all of this uh, AI transhumanism stuff. Like, I I know people who are so far in that space. Like, I'm friends with another artist called Portrait XO. And literally every day she leaves me voice messages. And it's just like arguments in the metaverse. But they're exactly the same as arguments in the human verse. Because people are basically have the same scraps everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter what verse they're in. Right, so transhumanism, so which I'm not an expert on. No, so yeah. uh, let me have a try and have a go at this. So, okay, I, I'm not sure how I can explain this. So it's, it's kind of like, is it a bit like sort of um, the Donna Haraway cyber manifesto? Is that kind of are we kind of in the that range of kind of escaping into technology? Yes, yeah, so as y- part of ourselves advancing into a different sp- sphere. So because I don't, I mean, I, I know of her, but, but because I don't feel I know enough, I'm not going yeah. I'm, I'm to confirm anything too much. Okay, okay. My, my understanding of it more is like, if you think of that artist, Lynn Hirschman Leeson, who directed that movie Technolust with Tilda Swinton. Okay. And she was one of the first women to ever have a holographic mirror with, with Tilda's face that you can talk to. Uh-huh. I saw that at MoMA a few years ago. It was mind-blowing. And li- actually, Lynn Hirschman Leeson, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, she is an, is an extraordinary artist she was playing with gender and identity in this really scary way really like daring like putting up ads all around New York like come and meet me all this really really frightening stuff like all of this stuff was going on with Andy Warhol in the factory and all of that explosion of, of like this idea of making yourself and this like alternative ideas of celebrity or the factory or whatever. What Lynn Hirschman Leeson was doing with sort of drag and identity and gender was like fucking scary. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. So I, so I, I, I would take her more as my reference mm, mm. just because I know more about her like obviously like like Laurie Anderson and also the, 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 this Jamie guy who wrote <laughs> The People Versus Tech wrote another fantastic book Jamie he, sorry your name is, is yeah we, I know, you know should, should I just google his name yeah, go on google yeah, his let name me, let me google his name it, it can take a little bit of oh my time. god I forget people's names all the time I'm terrible yeah, the there's people. a lot going you know when you've got a busy mind it's kind of quite hard to yeah, and an academic mind. To keep it all. Jamie Bartlett, that's it. Jamie Bartlett, okay. So, okay, there's so much to... I'm trying to, like, put this all in, in, in under one sort of umbrella. So we're thinking about identity. Yeah. Is at the core of this, isn't it? Yeah, for me, 
all of this is really under that umbrella of being the child of immigrants, mm-hmm. of Bengali immigrants, and growing up at a time when the internet came out into our homes. It's affected everything from my music making mm-hmm. to being an indie artist, being an mm. independent musician. You know, at the moment, I'm listening to Tricky's autobiography on Audible and... You know, he was a big pop star for me, like looking at this mixed race guy, the way Mm. that he was fusing together different elements, different cultures. And quite unconsciously, he he defends the fact that he didn't really know what he was doing. Mm. He just did it anyway. And I really respect that. Obviously, I was classically trained in Mm. the voice, piano, sitar, la la la. So I was carrying around a lot of this training and... The expression through queerness, through nightclubs, and then through the internet and social media and technology, I've been able to have this very panoramic experience. Mm, It's it's mm. been this giant mushroom cloud (laughs) or this giant explosion of stuff. How do you describe yourself, do you think? I just describe myself as very creative. Yeah. I'm really, really curious. Like... Um, so Brian Eno did that lecture on six music and he said it's not genius, it's seniors. And that really spoke to me because it's all about how different scenes intersect. Oh, that's good. I like and that. And I thought, yeah, like that's like my life and mm. that's how I would express things. It's more this sort of seniors, uh, just being really curious mm. and just absorbing everything like a sponge. I want to talk a bit more about gender and technology. Yeah. So like obviously, well, I say obviously, it is a masculine yeah. space and things are changing. Yeah. So why... I have this conversation with students all the time. A lot of, a lot of them are writing dissertations about it and doing research, yeah. quite a lot. Yeah. Why is technology such a masculine space? Why do you think it's been it's been seen that way? So, you know, when I started out as a DJ, there weren't any DJs. Yeah, me neither. It's hardly the same, you know, no yeah. producers, women just, you know, they aren't connected to technology. They're not. Yeah. Still. Yeah. So why is that, do you think? So it's to do with the way things are systemically developed. Mm-hmm. And I think about a lot about that as a woman of colour. Mm-hmm. So it's internal bias, it's boys clubs, mm-hmm. it's deep rooted systems of oppression. I mean, in that like that's a very trendy it, that's a very trendy term and it starts to go maybe into one era of of, of kind of race. But yeah, there's just deep, mm. deep rooted ideas in society. And there's a lot of movement and a lot of conversation, but how you build, how like how you encourage people not just to get into these spaces, but then how you develop careers is a long, long system. And it's not that everyone is a racist piece of shit, but there's definitely things like bias, Mm. making training people up to make them realise you can't just go to the same places. Mm, mm. And on a systemic level, as society, I believe also get, is getting a lot harder, um, you have to really train people to pull each other up. And mm. what I say a lot, I've written about this in the Musicians' Union, it's mm. like a lot of the conversation is, and a lot of the, the efforts are actually being done by and for women, non-binary and trans people. Mm. We seem to be the one who are all pulling each other up. Mm. Mm. I don't see a lot of men doing that. Like, even if you look at the, the music festival headliners, oh, yes. it's still know. shit, you I know. know. And know. that is mostly run by men. Yeah. So what the fuck are they doing? Yeah. Not doing anything. So obviously, cause, so the, the key change is, is a, yeah. it's a campaign through the PR, PRS, right, to yeah. um, try and encourage more women, trans, non-binary into technology, yeah, or, in, uh, or not just tech, though, right? Well, in like in like into the music industry. In, yeah. So I'm in as an innovator because mm-hmm. of what because of the sort of polymath nature of everything that I do. Mm. I'm sort of more in. I love that word, poly, polymath. Yeah, I'm. I've really been described as it. a rave polymath before. I love it. I love that you describe yourself <laughs> as a PhD. Okay, oh, I know it's so cheesy. No, I love it. It's so good. I know, but it's really <laughs> cheesy. Yeah, still, yeah. It's so good. So I'm more in, more in there, and and obviously, like I'm probably one of the older people in, involved in key change. I think the challenge is now is that there are so many different avenues for you to go down, and so many of the streaming platforms and whatever you're training algorithms and. That, you know, so I got onto the internet and you uploaded your stuff and there you go, oh, we're not getting paid, but whatever. And so now there are all of these different tiered systems through sort of Patreon or, you know, whatever, Bandcamp mm, is, mm. of course, fantastic. But there are still these big industry standards and it all comes down to this, like, training an algorithm, you know, 
TikTok, blah, blah, blah. Mm. You're training an algorithm. You have to behave in a certain way. You have to post in a certain way. And I think that's really, it's really problematic mm. for young artists. It's not that I don't love it and that I don't, I don't adapt to it in my own way, but I just feel like the way that things have to be, mm. it's like it's just one way and that's really unfair. Mm. And what, yeah, I totally agree with you. And what about, you know, um, where I teach, where there's, we often look at like women in production, tech production. Yeah. And, you know, I see this in the students I teach, there's just a very small minority of women and yeah. even smaller minority of women of colour. Yeah. What are the barriers here? Well, I think it's this, like, you, you cannot be what you cannot see. And I definitely think... So representation, do you think? Absolutely. But mm. we're at a point in this inclusivity conversation where we need people from those different backgrounds with that kind of with that kind of knowledge. Hence why I get asked to do a lot of this stuff mm. is because I can go in, because I do understand, because I am present, because I mm, am mm, mm. actively working and I'm actively in lots of spaces. And also I sort of, you know, put up loads of pictures of me looking fabulous and people mm. like that, you mm -hmm. know. And so I'm really able to connect and get through to people. And, and so people, and I'm also really able to cut through the BS because I know mm. what it's like. You know, I know what it's like when you have your new music Friday, your release and, oh, I released it like, oh, and like 10 people streamed it or whatever. Like, you, you know, you're, you're led to believe that you you drop a single and like 50,000 people are going to listen to it. It's just not like that. Mm -hmm. It's not like that. And, you know, that's why Space is like 2% Rising, which mm. Saffron Records, you know, all of these organizations that I'm involved with are really good because you're all sort of you're all nudging each other along they're, they're, you know it, it is all the women and trans and non-binary nudging each other along mm -hmm. you know but we, it can't just be up to us mm. it has to be there has to be more development mm. and step up from the very male dominated you know facets of this industry and and what I get is oh it's all right because you're fabulous it's like no, I'm fucking on my own. Yeah, what, what does that mean, though? You're all right, you're fabulous. What does that even mean? Well, it's just very patronising, isn't it? Because we think that struggle is... Struggle has a very particular face, and I basically don't look like I'm struggling. And in many ways, I'm not, but I'm really on my own. You know, mm. I mean, it, it's a very slim... It's a very slim operation, and I've kind of noticed that with all of this more kind of app and web-based communication people kind of forget that you're a person they just want mm. an answer mm. just want, mm. I want this answer now is that a downside to technology do you yes. think it can be a bit isolating oh yeah I mean mm. people are really lonely we kind of know. it's also online there's communities but yes. also uh, I, I mean actually community was one of your loves yeah. as well Big see loves. see what I did there accidentally very good Lulu <laughs> I like it I just don't like realize it. how smooth I am sometimes <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's very no, it's a very, very lovely segue. Um, so yeah, so the Bengali community I grew up in, I mean, I have a lot of love for it, but obviously there's a lot of like. So is this bullshit. what you meant by community about your community or your Bengali community? Um, or I would say that my life has been very blessed with lots of different communities. Okay. So the Bengali community, which I am and are about, because. There was a lot of caste snobbery and there's a lot of problems. But I understand as a community who came over to this country with nothing in a country that expected to be rebuilt but, like, didn't like them. You know, the, the, our parents were the generations with the no P word put everywhere, you know, P bashing. Right, yeah. That, like, that was, that was massive, you know. A lot of the problems that I feel towards the Bengali community that I grew up in, I actually have a lot of compassion and empathy for what they must have been going through, you know, and how that then acts out in our social interactions. And then in the sort of the queer disco community, I recognise, like, there's so much about it I love. But they're all a bunch of shady motherfuckers to each other. Mm. And you can't understand why, because this is the generation <clears throat> who literally society spat down at them because to be gay, to be queer, it really was the bottom of society. And they'd all they'd all suffered watching hundreds of their friends. They, they, they'd, they'd been through, like, the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of sadness. And now a lot of that, like bitterness and that shade and whatever I have a great deal of empathy like oh like yeah there was like a societal massacre going on mm, mm. and the, the and the government did fuck all for mm, them mm, you know mm. also that society has grown up a lot in time in terms of 
being a lot more psychologically and emotionally savvy, understanding that how people behave, how scenes of people behave is a lot to do with the pain and the trauma that they're carrying. Mm. So I've definitely, the, as, as communities have developed, I've noticed that people are being a lot kinder to each other. Mm. So can you draw comparisons between the, like your Bengali community and then the queer community? Are there oh, any yeah. similarities like you could well, draw? Well, because like, you know, like Asian aunties are like drag mm. queens, aren't they? Yeah. They, they sit there. <laughs> And it's like, oh, she's fat, or they have a rubbish car, or... Oh, Throwing shade, basically. Just constantly, oh I and mean, it's God. so fabulous, but constantly, it's always like, oh, they're fat, or their car's rubbish, or they drink too much, or that person cheated on someone. Um... That's hilarious. <laughs> and, like, drunk drunk uncles saying really outrageous things. Yeah, yeah, and they're, like, sitting there, all at the temple, all being, like, meh, to each other, meh. <laughs> You know, they're shady as hell, and they were like quite shady to me because I because I got so like really honestly, you know, I got sent to a nice school and I and I did really well, so I was like I could get piano lessons and stuff. So everyone just fucking hated me because they thought that oh yeah, they're just like posh, or whatever. It's like no, no, we're all we're all we're all starting from the same canvas. It's mm. just I'm having a slightly different experience from it. Well, did you suffer from racism as well when you were younger at school? Oh yeah, I suffer. Yeah. I mean, societal racism mm. has underpinned my entire music career yeah, yeah. so I nearly became a pop star in my 20s and the whole thing to me was like oh we can't sell you to a white audience but this has happened they actually said that yeah, yeah. But, th- but this was ha- happening in like 2019 mm. that's fucking mental yeah because yeah, that yeah. sounds like something that might have happened to Bob Marley in like the uh, early 80s or something no 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 trust me come, starting to independently release in the late 2000s as a woman of colour, you know, surrounded by gays and queers, people were not happy. They were not having it. It was really, it was very straight boy looking down their nose at you, all like really geezer, like one one Glastonbury backstage situation, like really geezery like lads, you know. And it's like, come on, mate, you're just you're just redoing what the clash did, but not as good. Like you're not even as good as the clash. So you don't get to look down on me. So is this coming from the late, like the the heads of the labels? I mean, who's all got the, of them? So that's the power, isn't it? All of these lazy fuckers who are now mm. who are all oh like who are all like Black Lives Matter now. But you oh know, yeah, of course, yeah. You know what? It's all right, lady, because a lot of these guys, it's like all their hairs receding and they're not yeah. cool anymore. <laughs> and, no, but my know. theory is all these these guys they're the ones who are bullied at school. Yeah. They so now around, they yeah. ended up working at record labels or editing magazines because they were bullied at school and they desperately yeah. wanted to be cool. And actually, half of them don't know shit. Yeah, but actually, like... I Sorry mean, if no. you're listening, people, <laughs> and I've offended someone. But, but we're just talk, telling the truth today. I think so. I think, like, listen, I've, you know, and, and, and it's not just them. It's also the, like, nice middle-class hipster boys who work in trendy record labels who are just like, oh, I'm really sorry, I just can't sell you to white hipsters. So you're all right doing your, you know, yoga or whatever the hell it oh. is that you will do. Say, saying your, like, Sanskrit asanas, I, like, I think terribly. I read, I read, I listened to something you were talking about in this. It could have been yeah. one of the podcasts you did. Yeah. But it's this idea of, like, it's like the the... Uh, it's not even irony. I mean, it's cultural appropriation, but no, it's also I mean, misunderstanding. Yeah. Just not understanding culture, different cultures and communities. Would you say? Or... I think more than appropriation, because cultural appropriation, <clears throat> everyone is obsessed with it these days. Mm. Um, but I think it's like, well, I can have your culture or my. You, you, so it's you not know, an exchange. Clear. Yeah, it's um, it's just like massive hypocrisy, mm. massive amounts of of hypocrisy, and. You know, these guys are still very successful. They're still working and they're still even more successful. And, I mean, whatever. They, you know, they, they, they don't really, you know... I've I've developed in another way, in a way that I'm really happy. And I'm more and more surrounded by people who are just really on the same page as me. Because mm. you're kind of more in control. Because you, you self-publish, you self-release all yeah. your stuff. You're in control of everything, aren't you? Yeah. So you haven't got, like, that third-party yeah. label coming in and interfering because you don't fit into that box you don't fit into so do you you find that empowering though right well it's the only way I've known I mean like increasingly the sort of table I've built for myself is more and more what people are just expecting of artists anyway and I have a lot of knowledge and I'm, I'm, I'm meeting a lot of interesting 
people who I guess they're more from the millennial generation where they've grown up like understanding artists to really behave and adapt in a certain way and because we have all of these platforms because so much is expected of us and because we have all of these platforms they kind of understand they have to act within a certain mm. way towards artists it's, it's funny you just there's so much to talk about we can end up going on tangents because i want to ask you about obviously the the you're classically trained yeah and you have the bengali influence classic yeah. classical um training in, yeah. in from and so how do your your family community how do they feel about the way you've kind of like in a way you've postmodernized it a little bit in a way so you kind of like you've you've kind of you've used the, your background um and then introduced it into a different kind of context yeah so how do they feel so the sitar community that hardcore Indian classical community really struggled like yeah. they did not like it so I basically pioneered that electric sitar thing a female sound engineer who worked for Sigur Ross showed me these pickup mics and that was really the beginning of the electric sitar and I was like I'm writing songs in a certain so way had that not existed before then no, no not okay. like not in that way people go on about the electric guitar and it's like rancid instrument from the 70s <laughs> Which made, which I think Brian Jones played on Paint It Black. Yeah. You know, I mean, it really works on that record. And obviously now Annie Clark has made it cool as fuck on her album. Mm, mm. And she's just cool as fuck. But anyway, so we're really not I happy. love the fact that you're swearing a lot now. You're yeah, like, oh, yeah, can yeah, I yeah. say shit earlier? And now yeah. it's just like, yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah, love it. Yeah. So, <laughs> then it, it, it became just a tool for me to be able to write on and play with but it fed back really badly so it was when I started midi mapping it through midi pedals through Ableton and through my Ableton push it's really taken on this whole other meaning it means I can improvise I can put it through different effects I'm kind of playing with like different like stretching plugins and and, and different bits in Max uh, MS Pro and and really working on the overall sound design and mm, and, and mm. it's it's really it's really you know, it's been great doing it through Ableton Live because then it means that I can actually play with bands and ensembles. Everyone can hear me and the whole thing just doesn't feed back. Mm. So at the beginning of this journey, they were not happy. They wanted me to be a virtuoso mm -hmm. guitar player. They said I really had it in me and I love that music. Mm. But the way it was presented to me is you have to stay in Delhi and be in this room for eight hours a day. Mm. And I was already DJing professionally. So, I thought, so how old are you when this was happening? 1718. 1718, yeah. I thought, fuck this, I don't want to do that. And where were you DJing at 1718? Oh, so, right, so that was when I was doing... That the, cash point? The, the Siren Suite before that. Okay. And and this was with uh, Matthew and Richard okay, from, got it. Yeah, from right. a Minty. Mm -hmm. I thought, fuck this, I've already been to the fun fair. I'm not getting off the rides now. And they really pressured me, like, they were going to launch a sitar degree at Trinity College, and they came round and, like... There was a lot of pressure for me to do it. And it's like, no, it, the more you pressure me, the more I run away, you know. Um, so they were really not thrilled. But then what happened is I got on the telly and I got on radio and I got in vogue. So it's, I started to be forgiven. And now, obviously, the subconscious has really changed. You know, you've got this new daytimers movement, you know, that, that, that as India has modernised, more and more people get that you know, I wasn't trying to cheapen the instrument. Mm. I'm not trying to make it into a gimmick that, you know, I describe the sitar. So in Indian classical music, everybody has to learn how to sing really well mm -hmm. um, because it's how you learn all of the music because all the music's improvised. So it's how you learn ragas and stuff. So I view my sitar really as an extension of my mm -hmm. singing voice. And that's how I talk about it. But it took a long time to be mm. able to verbalise that because I was made mm. to feel cheap and terrible. I was made to feel like, you know, what I was doing was absolute blasphemy. I think also, you know, Indian classical music is extremely patriarchal, you mm. know. Mm. And even if you are like a daughter or a wife of someone, mm. they mm. give you loads of crap, you know. They really give you a hard time. But, I mean... But is it fair to say that the fact that you have been classically trained has really kind of impacted on your your music identity? Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. You've got Thank beautiful you. voice. I mean, Thank it's you. like you don't miss a note. Thank you. Yeah, it has. And I'm really grateful for all of that training. However, I do think that those systems really lock you into a certain way of thinking. 
And so I'm glad that I gave up a lot of that training kind of very early on in my life. And I really it like I um I channeled in all of the, you know, countercultural, all of the different rock scenes. You know, I was a big fan of the Aphex twin. I would go mm. to all of those reflex reflex shifty discos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the whole Electro Clash thing. Mm-hmm. I, I I I really I really, you know, and and, and all around both, both. I mean, I guess West London because of Carnival, North London because of indie and goth and whatever. Um, I really absorbed so many different influences, and I'm really glad that like I got you know over my fear of like samples or, or whatever. Actually, it was working with Tony Visconti when he said to me, "So how do you make your music, Bishy?" And I said, "So I've got Logic, and then I've got my sitar, my bass guitar." ukuleles different synths my piano and I sort of multi-track it all together and I use kind of beats and stuff and he said to me oh you're a producer mm-hmm. and I said am I but I said I don't I'm not I don't feel very confident about you know I pointed at his desk and he patted his so is this desk a gender thing or not I think it probably is but 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 you know mm. of how I've been made to feel exactly but yeah. he tapped his eventide rack he was like oh that he was like well, that's the easy bit. Well, that old thing. Yeah, he was like, well, what you're doing is the hard <laughs> bit. Mm-hmm. He was like, you're a producer. Um, and he really encouraged that. that. That was like a eureka moment of like, I never have to doubt myself now. Because mm-hmm. this like genius, lovely guy has has given me that license for myself. And then I realised that I just really enjoy it. So I did some stuff at Real World Studios last year. And I love it. It was a young female engineer, Katie, who's worked on the new Harry Styles record. Mm. It's the same as this unpretentious thing. She's like, mm. you know what you're doing. I think there's been a lot of snobbery around all of this technology because I guess maybe people feel that there wasn't enough space or they feel their job's getting taken away mm, or mm. All of that, you know, so what, rubbish. So we, as as predicted, we've we've run we're running well. We've run out of time, and we I feel like there's still more to talk about. Um, but what would you say to like? I think you know. I think moving forward, I think the key thing is to kind of like send out positive messages to the next generation coming up. Absolutely. So this is why I like teachings. I like to encourage, you know, particularly the women to kind of get involved in, and but not just get into the music industry, but also question it, yeah, and critique it, yeah. and change, yeah, and change things, yeah. So what would your advice be to uh, young women, young trans, non-binary, just young people of different identities coming through who, who kind of want to get into embrace technology and music, but are kind of afraid to? What would you yeah. say to them? So I would say you you are the generation that has known nothing but smartphones and the internet. The great thing about that is all of the capabilities, all of the different programs, all of the modes of expression. The sad thing about that is all of that going out culture and people really going out every single night of the week. That has been replaced by, certainly in London, by gentrification and also by a culture where like young people are expected to just work the cost of living is just going up and up and up and it's it's really scary can we say fuck the tories yeah really yeah fuck them yeah (laughs) so the most important thing is your creativity and getting together in real spaces finding whatever your you know whether it's like a disused building or whether it's you're finding some kind of a community space and really getting together to just show each other what you're doing. Like, I'm a big fan of forums. You know, I've made some spectacular friendships in lockdown over COVID. You know, I, I built AV installations for Coventry City of Culture. I did all of this remotely. So I really understand just the capability of everything. However, nothing beats just getting together. It will be good for your mental health. It will be good for your anxiety. It'll be really, really good for you to just find more and more spaces and not with networking mm. and not thinking about likes and you not thinking... Oh, God, no. I hate that thing. We, I hate that whole like pressure. Yeah. It's just not... It's forced. It's all about yeah. this that organic kind of collaborative growth. It's not networking. It, absolutely. I'm on the board of the F-List. At the last meeting, I was like... What is the F-List? The F list for music, so it's a big directory for women, trans, and non-binary okay. artists in the music industry. Right. But some there was some motion about like, you know, members or artists. Oh, and we're looking at their streaming numbers. I was like, nope, 
Nope. I hate that. I'm not doing that. I hate it. I'm not doing that. We're going to look mm. at quality. Yeah. We're going to look at expression. Thank God. We're going to look at people for what they are. Like, yeah. I'm not having it. I really hate that. I really hate it. I hate that whole, like, your value is on how many likes you've got. Yeah. And record labels look at that. It's just like, I hate it. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. I'm um, all about the creativity and all about people coming together and just being and don't expect a result. Like sometimes it's good just to play some rubbish on a guitar or show someone something you're doing. Just just sh- show each other things in in real in in real life. Yeah, good advice. Good advice. And the thing is about like this cl- the collective um, act of resistance, isn't it? Yeah, things can only change if we actually do something about it. Absolutely. And on that note, I'm sad, very sad to say we have to we have to finish now. But it's been really amazing having you today, Bishi. Thank you so much. I'm such a big fan of this show. Oh, that's really. It... I'm really honoured and flattered, actually. But um, it's been really interesting and. Um, We'll have to get you. Well, we. I'll have to get you back in for another chat. I would more love to that. talk about. Yeah, maybe I'd we love should. That. Maybe we should. Oh, you know what? I'll, you know, it's like having a dream dinner party. Yeah, It'd be amazing to have you, Miranda, and oh Imogen. God. Yeah, and have like a, a round table podcast episode. No, that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that would be amazing. I'd that be, would be amazing. I'd be, wouldn't really, it? I'd be really up for I'd that. I'd love to do that. I'd yeah. really up for that. And and Anna when she's in London because she's one of my best oh, friends. Oh yes, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it just just like I think that's why podcasts are so successful because it really is just real people having real conversations. Mm, mm. And we all crave that. Mm, definitely. Definitely. Oh, thanks ever so much. What are you up to for the rest of the day? You're going to a gig tonight, aren't you? I'm going to see Jarvis Cocker in conversation for Oh, with the Miranda? Launch. Yeah. I think for... she's hosting oh, or doing the, the interviewing, isn't I she? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. Well, great to have you. Right. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to the wonderful Bishy for taking the time out of a very busy schedule to have a chat. Huge thanks to Alice and Rachel at Soho Radio for letting me use their super slick space to record this podcast. And of course, for looking after me so well. This podcast was produced and edited by me. Remember, if you like this podcast, do please leave a review on whichever platform you use and share with your friends. Follow me at Dr. Lou LeVay. And remember, I love you. Well, uh...